0: The Blacks and Whites Network proudly presents Katherine Raker of Let's Just Talk.
1: Hi, this is Katherine Raker of Let's Just Talk. Our guest today is Gwendolyn Odom Burton. After three miscarriages, Gwendolyn Odom Burton thought she knew how to navigate grief. But when her adult son dies from sudden unexpected death in epilepsy, S-U-D-E-P, Grief takes her down a different path. You Don't Know Just How I Feel offers gentle validation, highlights, common grief experiences, rarely discussed and often minimized, and provides insight for fostering sympathetic, empathetic dialogue for the bereaved and those in supporting roles. I want to welcome her to my show today. Uh, Welcome to our show, Gwendolyn. How are you today?
2: Thank you so much, Katherine. I am doing well. It's so good to be with you today.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I think I think when people die within your family or your son or your daughter or your brother, there is it's hard to explain. Am I correct?
2: That's correct. Absolutely. Uh, I believe it's hard to explain because sometimes, there are artificial uh timelines, and there are misconceptions and myths that surround certain deaths. If someone very close to us, our immediate family, uh, as you've noted uh passes away, it seems to uh, give give the the griever or at least those who support the grieving person some. T- some kind of artificial guideline and that's not necessarily true and then as the griever we take on those guidelines because that's what we've been taught or what we've seen modeled before us in the past
1: well you know your book offers a unique experience unique perspective for people who are experiencing grief what would you say is the hardest piece about the grieving process
2: I believe that the hardest piece about the grieving process is is twofold, because for the grieving person and then for the support person, though they're the same, they are handled quite differently. I believe one of the hardest pieces for the grief, the person who's grieving, is uh, understanding their own grieving process and understanding exactly. Uh, what grief is and how to navigate that process and asking for help as they're in that process. And then for the person who's supporting the grieving person, it's often difficult just knowing how to best support them. What should I do? What shouldn't I do? What should I say? What shouldn't I say?
1: Now, What's important, I think, is for you to share your experience and your story. Lost, you had three miscarriages, and then um, your son was actually how old when he passed?
2: Our son was 26 when he passed, and as you said, I had uh, earlier in our marriage, I had uh, experienced three miscarriages, and so certainly those were. Or traumatic and often for people who experience miscarriage there isn't a level of support or understanding uh, that we grieve deeply as well uh, for those for that child or those children uh, who we uh, who died by miscarriage and then so I had come out of that season come up worked through that grief often alone uh, and was uh, was blessed with two incredible uh, sons, and so we were just living life and enjoying our family, and just so pleased to have those two sons. So when my son, uh, younger son Miles, uh, was diagnosed with epilepsy, uh, our older son had been diagnosed at eighteen months. So our family had a history with epilepsy and uh, understood, thought we understood epilepsy. Uh, so when Miles was diagnosed at t- age 20, we were quite surprised, but his epilepsy was controlled. And then in 2016, he had a seizure uh, and was face down in his bed, uh, yes, and, and transitioned as a result of that seizure, that unexpected death in ep- epilepsy, that?
1: How often or how long do the bereaved receive grief support from others, and how do you know how do people handle it the other side of it if you're a mother or and your daughter, say, for instance, loses her husband or a child? I think that we think that or most people think that grief should end after a certain period, but really it doesn't does it?
2: It does not. And that's one of the big misconceptions, Catherine, is that people tend to think that after a month or two months, a year, even five years, that uh, our grief has ended. But as has been noted, grief, there is no timeline for grief. Navigating the grief process and working through our grief takes as long as it takes and that's different for every person. No two people experience grief the same because no two people have the same relationship with our loved one who died. Uh, even siblings or spouses, uh, parents grieve the same person differently. And so that artificial timeline uh, just spreads throughout uh, our relationships our friends, our family, our acquaintances, our coworkers. And people tend to often tend to think that we're okay, that we're quote unquote over it, over it, have moved past, have moved on. And those are phrases that we may tend to reconsider. Uh, you know, move on and uh they're over it. Uh when often when people think that we have I'll say move, moved forward I'll, I'll use that term, that we are often just uh, coming into re- the, the acceptance or just the realization or learning how to live with our the loss of our loved one. we're just recognizing or accepting that they're gone. They're no longer here with us.
1: And what would you suggest to someone, especially the person that's on the outside or the supporting person, of the person that's lost, um, a, a husband, a wife, a child, a brother, a sister, an aunt, it could be anyone that you're really close to, how does that person cope and how do they handle even discussing it or talking about it with that person that's lost? Yeah,
2: yeah. And, and that's often one of those very difficult uh, relationships. Uh, dynamics when we're dealing with grief because the person that support person that person who wants to be available to the grieving person that family member friend whomever it's often difficult for them to know exactly what to do or exactly what to say and so one of the first things that I would say is is to recognize that we're not going to always get it right we're not going to always give it, get it right, but to know that there are things that we can do. We often think that we have to say something or, or you know, have the right words or to say to the grieving person, to someone who has, whose spouse has, has died or parent has died, or that we have to have the right words. But there, is no, uh, there are no right words that we can say. But sometimes understanding that some of the words that we do have been taught to say aren't necessarily as supportive as we think they are. Uh, But just being available to that person, sometimes all the grieving person really wants or needs is for someone to sit with them and just to be present with them and to listen. If we want to tell a story of our loved one, A 100 times over just to be available to listen not think that we have to fix that person not think that we're responsible for making that person feel better because when we're grieving uh it's it's not often that there are any words that a person can say uh that will make us feel much better but just to be willing to sit in the pain to sit with us in our pain to sit with us in our tears, to sit with us in our present state and allow us to grieve.
1: For children, it may be harder, um, especially young children um, dealing with grief. They may not cry, they may not um, act out certain things, they may keep everything inside. Where is you? Is the parent that have lost uh, a husband or or a child, you can very easily cry, you can very easily whatever. How do you handle the child that you're living with that's lost her father, say, for
2: instance? Yeah. Children grieve much differently than adults. And number one, just understanding that, for one. A, A child can... Uh, be with us and maybe very sad one moment and outside playing with their friends and just laughing and uh, as if there has not been a, a a death in the family. But just being available to our children and letting them know that it's okay. It's okay for them to cry. It's okay for them to be sad because as parents what we often do is we suppress our own grief we cover our own grief so that uh, for the sake of our children because we don't want to our children to see us cry we don't want our children to see us sad but to by allowing our children to see our grief that validates their own grief and gives them permission to express their emotions it gives them permission to say if mom, if dad, if grandma, grandpa can cry, if my sibling can cry, then it's okay for me to cry as well. And it teaches them healthy, uh, a healthy, a healthier way to grieve. But understanding that children are differently, and sometimes it's helpful to get our children. If as parents we feel that we aren't uh, able or capable, or that we have the ability to. Uh, speak to our children in grief or to get to help our children navigate grief, then it's okay, understanding that it's okay to get uh, to have someone else, a counselor perhaps, uh, a therapist, to help that child navigate their grief journey.
1: And on that note, we need to take a short breath. And the book is, can you give the title again, Gwendolyn, if you don't mind? The book
2: is, sure. The book is You Don't Know. Just how I feel. Hope for the
0: grieving heart.
1: And we'll be right back on Katherine Raker's Let's Just
0: Talk. We'll be right back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk with Katherine Raker. Did you know that memory loss now affects almost 7 million people in America? And the Alzheimer's Research Foundation estimates that by the year 2050, there will be 50 million people with dementia in America. Are you preparing your family, especially your grandchildren, for this issue? This is Dan Perkins, and I'm the author of a new book for children ages 9 to 12 and their families to help them understand that it's not their fault when Grammy can't remember them. Why Can't Grammy Remember Me is available at Amazon or through your local bookseller. Don't make your grandchildren part of the lost generation. Every now and again, we get a great book to read, but how about having three great books at the same time by the same author? This is what we have in the Master Storytellers Bundle with Sad Eyes, which is a story of an unlikely hero, a woman who rose to the occasion during World War II and finding the love of her life. Also, the bundle has two historical volumes of Abraham Lincoln the second assassin just when you thought you heard everything read everything knew everything you have no idea how this one is going to end now available at hollismedia.net for your convenience buy now pay later use the afterpay system that's at hollismedia.net that's hollismedia.net this is a great gift for reading enthusiasts. Check it out at HollisMedia.net and click on the bundle.
3: Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers was created to serve veterans who deal with a lack of sleep due to their injuries. SongsandStoriesForSoldiers.us provides a free MP3 player for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. To learn how you can help, go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us to help a veteran make it through the night.
0: We're back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk with Katherine Raker.
1: We are back on Katherine Raker's Let's Just Talk with Gwendolyn Burden and her wonderful new book, um, which is... You don't know how, you don't know just how I feel. And I think that's important um, in the title itself. It makes people think about it. Is that the reason why you picked that title?
2: It is the reason, Catherine. And if we just talk about it, <laughs> as I've spoken with so many people who are, who've experienced grief, uh, one of the things that we say, many of us, so many of us, is that when people tell them, oh, I know just how you feel, I know just how you feel, that's something that really uh, causes them to, uh, it causes anxiety, angst, and often anger, because as I've said earlier, we may know some of the things that a person feels, there are certainly common reactions and responses to grief. But we can never know exactly how a person feels. We can never know just how that person feels because of their relationship, their unique relationship with the person who died. So that's where, how that title came about. You don't know just how I feel.
1: Have you said that when people talk to you, after, especially after you lost your son? Did people say that to you? A lot?
2: Oh, certainly, certainly. People said that, people said, uh, because there are just common cliches and platitudes that have been passed down through, uh, through our families, through our cultures, through our communities of faith, through our circles that uh, are, are acceptable. We've accepted that, those those cliches and those platitudes, those phrases, because They're said uh, as a courtesy. They're said in sympathy. They are said to help, uh, hopefully to help you feel better. But often those phrases and those cliches are not helpful at all. And that's one of the things that I talk about in the book, that so many people uh, who are grieving leave a conversation feeling uh, even worse because of the things that have been said to them, and often by people who love them, people who don't know that what they've just spoken has wounded the grieving person deeply.
1: What are some questions appropriate to ask the bereaved?
2: You know, one of the most important, you know, we we ask the person, how are you feeling? And that can change from day to day. And that can change from hour to hour. So one of the things is, how are you feeling right now? How are you feeling right now? And then being willing to listen to what they're saying, how they're feeling. Another thing is, you know, we say, let me know if I can do anything for you. And so we put the responsibility on the grieving person to reach out to us at a time when they're often so heartbroken that, and they're in a fog, in a mental fog, sometimes in a state of denial, and they may not know what they need at that moment. But when we're wanting or asking, what can I do to help, it may be beneficial to uh, add uh, something like, I would like to bring, not do you need, if you need something, uh, let me know if you want me to bring you dinner. Just say, I would like to bring dinner over for you or for you and your family tonight or tomorrow. Is that okay? Offer specific help. I would like to uh, pick the children up from school for you today or take the children to school for you today so that you can have a few moments alone. Something like that that's very specific a specific area of, of help.
1: You know, I uh, my daughter lost her husband um, a year ago, and another friend of mine lost her husband. I spend a lot of time with them on the phone because they're not here. And I have gone through everything that you've talked about, um, and not knowing what to say, learning how to listen, which is I think the hardest part because we want to jump in and do something. Am I correct, Gwendolyn?
2: You're absolutely correct. It's very uncomfortable seeing someone else hurting or listening to their pain, and we want to fix it. We want to make things better for them, and that's natural. But in grief, it's, it's not always the best course of action. You're absolutely right.
1: So what are some questions appropriate um, and some examples in your book um, that can help not only the person that's grieving but the support person or the relatives or friends around them?
2: Yeah, for the relatives or friends, as I said, just first of all, understanding that as hard as we try, we're not going to always get it right. Accepting that, first of all, but then educating ourselves. Uh, Let's take grief off the shelf and not make it a taboo or a shunned conversation, but educating ourselves and as we learn and as we become aware of certain things, then to share that with someone else. So for that person who's supporting the grieving person, just understanding, uh, educating ourselves to some of the things that we, 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 it may be better or best not to say, uh, understanding, that, understanding that the grieving person needs that time and space to grieve, to grieve freely, to grieve openly without feeling or being made to feel uh, judged. We often feel judged. Grieving people often feel judged in their grief. Why aren't you, you know, it's time for you to pick yourself up and and, and do something else and do A, B, C, D, and E, whatever that may be. You should be glad that you had them for as long or thankful that you had them as long as you did. Just those kind of things that uh, the grieving person, doesn't necessarily why it may be true. Some of the things that we say while we're wanting supporting the grieving person, it may be true. We may know that to be true. But when a person is in grief, or certainly in, and this is subjective. I'll say early. Early is subjective because it's different for everyone. But in the stage or the phase in grief, or on the a place on their grief journey, where they're hurting deeply, uh, then it may not be best for us to uh, approach them in certain ways. But the person who is supporting the grieving person, as we've said, just being willing to be present with them, not try and fix them, offering specific help, uh, not giving those platitudes. And then, you know, things like asking I've heard uh, situations where people will ask a grieving person about the details surrounding their loved one's death. And when you really think about it, that's very insensitive. It can be very insensitive. Things like that are not rushing, uh, feeling that we have to rush that grieving person uh, to move forward or to move on, and just understanding that they will progress in their grief, they will work their own unique grief process at their own pace. And then continuing. Mm -hmm.
1: Go ahead. Yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: I was going to say, and then just continuing to be available to them, whether it's been a year, two years, a month, whatever it is, a time frame. There is no time frame, but just to check on them from time to time. And say, Hey, how are you today? How are you right now? I just I'm thinking about you. You're in my heart and prayers. And I just wanted to chat with you, touch base with you today.
1: In your book you mentioned different methods of self care. Why is this important?
2: Self care when while we're grieving is important because we often neglect ourselves. Well, even outside of grief. But certainly when we're, in, when we're grieving, we're, we become accustomed to taking care of uh, other needs. Uh, if we have other family members, we tend to uh, look after their needs more so than our own needs. And so our own self-care uh, is something that we place on the back burner or we, you know, we don't uh, necessarily feel. Uh, that we have time to care for our own needs, to care for our own emotional, mental, physical health. Help. And when we do that, what happens is uh, we suppress those emotions that are meant to be expressed, that are meant to be uh, uh, released. And we suppress those, and it often causes or leads to other ailments, other physical, emotional uh, mental uh ailments or consequences. And so self care and grief, uh, finding a balance at some point or at least taking one doing something, one thing for ourselves that uh helps us uh to move forward, that helps us to care for our own uh, personal being. If that's if just someone, so important
1: if someone needed your grief support or need to support someone grieving, what would you share with them, and where can people purchase your book?
2: Yeah, if people are looking if you're looking for uh if you need immediate help uh, with someone who's grieving, if there is something that you've noticed or that you believe that is uh that your loved one needs additional help, first of all, just approach them very compassionately, very respectfully, very kindly. Uh, and just say, how can I help you? Uh, is there something I can do? Uh, or you may, I think, do you believe that you may need additional help? And then work through that process and possibly uh, if therapy or counseling is something that they need, uh, they deem they need, or you might want to suggest, then do that. Uh, buying a book is often helpful. And certainly you can purchase You Don't Know Just How I Feel. Uh, it's available on Amazon. You Don't Know Just How I Feel. It's available on my website, GwendolynOBurton.com, and you can request it from your local Barnes & Noble's or bookstore. But there are resources available to help the grieving person as well as the person who's supporting uh, that grieving person. And the book You Don't Know Just How I Feel, Hope for the Graving Hearts is one of those resources.
1: I can't thank you enough for joining me today and giving such beautiful guidance and hope. Thank you for your mission and what you're doing for others. And thank you so much for joining me on Catherine Riggers. Let's Just Talk. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Catherine.
0: Thank you for joining us on Catherine Riggers. Let's Just Talk on the Blacks and Whites Network.